Well, it's amazing and even overwhelming to think and imagine that there are actually hundreds of millions of people worshiping Jesus this morning, gathering together with churches throughout the world, some at risk of their lives, to make much of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about that, I think they have good reason to do so. I think we have good reason to do so. In fact, Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield uh, once wrote that the center of gravity of the Christian hope and the Christian faith itself rests in the fact of the resurrection. Now, you'll notice that he emphasizes the fact of the resurrection, that it is a fact You know, today reminds us that Christianity uniquely grounds its faith in a factually verifiable miracle that every human must deal with. So much so that Paul himself writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that if the resurrection did not take place, then we above all else are to be pitied as the worst of fools. But because Jesus is alive, because he did rise again on the third day, because he lives forever to intercede for us. We need to listen to what Jesus has to say. Now, if you read through the four Gospels and Acts, what you'll notice is that they tell this story about how our our Lord actually, after being raised from the dead, appeared before eyewitnesses on at least 14 different occasions over a 40-day period. Many people saw Jesus raised from the dead, were witnesses to that event. And each Easter, over the past few years, we have actually been taking time just to look at those various appearances. Uh, You'll remember that a couple of years ago, we looked at Mary Magdalene, uh, and then we moved on to the other women, the broader circle of women that came and saw Jesus next. And this morning, what we want to do is we want to consider Peter. Peter, who is said to be the, the first man who witnessed Jesus raised from the dead. And as I think about this, what's fascinating to me is that Peter's appearance is unique. It's captivating. See, the seemingly seemingly significant event only receives a brief mention in Luke 24-34. In Luke 24, if you've read there before, you'll remember that Cleopas and his friend, they're walking to Emmaus after Jesus has died, and they're kind of discussing what's been going on. They're talking about the death of Jesus, when all of a sudden, Jesus himself shows up, and he joins the conversation. And as he joins in, they don't recognize him. Doesn't say why, they just don't recognize him. And he begins to talk with them, and he's like, well, what are y'all talking about? What's going on? And in that moment, you'll remember that they said something to the effect of, What kind of rock have you been living under not to know what's going on with Jesus? To which Jesus responds something like, well, it's actually behind a rock. You know, I've been at the tomb for a while, but um, yeah, those will keep coming. Kurds a preacher. But in Luke 24, 17, Jesus walked them through all the Old Testament, showing them the things concerning himself. And then he broke bread with them and their eyes were opened to see and recognize who he was, and then he was gone. And catch what they do in Luke 24, 33 to 34. It says they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon, who is Peter. Now, a couple of questions come to mind here. First, why isn't Simon Peter with the other disciples? And second, when did the resurrected Jesus appear to Peter? Because I didn't read that elsewhere. Now, we know in 1 Corinthians 15, 4, that Paul points to the early church confession where Jesus appeared, he says, to Cephas or Simon, uh, Simon Peter first. And then he says to the 12 and then to the 500 men at once. And then James and finally Paul. 
But he doesn't mention the women in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, that's because I think Paul is trying to establish a legal case which is based on the testimony of at least two or three men. He wants to show that the resurrection of Jesus Christ would have held up in any legal court of law. The Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus met with Peter or when it happened, but it goes silent, radio silent on on what happened when Jesus did meet with Peter. See, this event is at least a week prior to Peter and the other disciples coming to Jesus in John 21, 15 to 23. Now, we usually preach expositionally, section by section, through whole books of the Bible, but this morning, since we don't see what happened when Jesus appeared to Peter, I want us to trace the life of Peter in the Gospel of John. I want us just to track through and follow what happened with Peter through this gospel. And what I'd like for us to do is really, as we look at those episodes, look at who Peter was before and after he meets with Jesus to notice the change in his life and what transpired and what it meant and what we can learn from the life of Peter and his viewing of Jesus raised from the dead. See, we'll see here, a big point is this, if you're writing notes, that Peter needed Jesus' death and resurrection to follow Jesus. Peter needed Jesus' death and resurrection to follow Jesus. It's really plain in the book of John. Now, the first thing that we see here is this. Peter can't follow Jesus into his unique death. Peter can't follow Jesus into his unique death. We see this in John 13. And let me just encourage you, if you've got your Bible, just keep it out. We're going to be using it a lot today. We like the Bible here. Now, in John 13, the upper room discourse begins, and the disciples are there listening to Jesus as he explains about how he's about to be glorified, speaking of his death and his resurrection that are to come. And he has just told them, where I am going, you cannot come, in John 13, 33. And Peter, so, who so often speaks of the disciples, says, and speaks for the disciples, says this in John 13, 36 to 38. Here's what he says as he's thinking about Jesus saying, you can't come where I am going. He says this, says in verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Of course, this is vintage Peter, isn't it? Peter lives by the motto, speak now, think later. We see that throughout, right? He's the kind of guy that wants to fill every silence with words. He gets uncomfortable with silence and he feels like he needs to say something. He says what others think, but no, not to say because they have either self-respect or a filter. Peter does not. And as we follow through the book of of John, we find this on display. And as we look at the other Gospels, we see this on display again and again. Uh, For one, you'll remember that speaking of Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of living God in Matthew 16, 18, this great confession of who Christ is, this recognition of him, Jesus looks at him and he says, uh, I will build my church on this rock, the confession of Peter, whose name means rock, and the gates of Hades or death, they will not prevail against this. Now, if you're a Christian and Jesus says this to you, that's winning, right? Like, you want to hear that. You're feeling like, I'm in a good place spiritually. 
Well, then Jesus immediately says, and by the way, I must suffer and be killed and on the third day be raised again from the dead. Right after that. And then Peter, you know, he's feeling like I'm on a good streak. Jesus just told me I'm the rock. And so he looks at Jesus. After him saying, I must die and be raised. And he says, this will never happen to you. I will never let it happen. And then Jesus responds in Matthew 16, 23. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but the things of man. Think about that just for a second. Six verses. Six verses. Peter goes from hearing, on this rock I will build my church, to get me behind me, Satan. That is a transition. That is an interesting transition. What about this? A second event that tells us a little about Peter. Who can forget the time that God the Father interrupts Peter's plan to build a tent for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah at the transfiguration? Do you remember that? Peter's like, this is great. Like, we got Jesus and Elijah and Moses. I'm going to make tents for you guys, and we can just live here. This is great. And he's in the middle of like verbalizing his plans when God the Father himself interrupts him. And with his voice from heaven in John, thir- I mean, in, um, <clears throat> in that episode, what we find is, is that God speaks down and says, you don't understand what's happening here. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. He is unique. He is greater than Elijah, Moses, and any other man. And then here in John 13, 36, Peter asked Jesus, again, vintage Peter, why can I not follow you? I will lay my life down for you. And Jesus' response is basically, really? You will really lay down your life for me? Let me tell you the, the real state of affairs. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Of course, the irony here is that Peter says that he will lay down his life for Jesus when Jesus has come to lay down his life for Peter. And how can Peter stand so close to Jesus and still be so blind to his need for him? You know, maybe this morning you have gathered together with the people of God on Easter because, I don't know, maybe your grandmother offered you a really good meal and who turns down grandmother's cooking, right? And yet in this moment you're around the things of God and Christ being lifted up and could you be this near and miss Christ? There were people that were face-to-face with Christ and missed who he was. See, I think Peter overestimated Jesus' need for him and underestimated his need for Jesus. Peter struggled to see Jesus as the one who came to suffer and die for his sins. And so he failed to see himself as a broken sinner in need of salvation. He wanted to help Jesus take Jerusalem back, not realizing that Jesus came to capture the throne of the rebellious hearts of humanity, enslaved to sin, death, and the devil, and under the just wrath of God. And only Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross could do all of that. It's clear from all four Gospels that Peter struggles at every point to understand why Jesus had to die. And he needs Jesus to change his heart to help him see Jesus and himself clearly. Now, I just want you to take note. Jesus called Peter's denial of Jesus before it happened. Did you catch that? Like, Jesus sees the future. He sees Peter's future. I think this is more significant than Babe Ruth calling his home run shot to center field, right? 
Like he's calling Peter's life, and he says, I see you, I see where you're going. Jesus sees Peter in a way that Peter can't even see himself. And Jesus knows Peter will abandon him in just hours. And isn't that beautiful? Jesus went to the cross for Peter knowing he would abandon him. That he would deny him three times. I think so many people think they see Jesus so clearly because they've heard a friend talk about it or seen something on TV. And yet they don't realize how clearly Jesus actually sees them. And in John 18, Jesus, his prediction comes true. So if you flip over to John 18, you'll notice that that this event that is foretold actually comes to pass. Uh, There we see that Peter did deny Jesus three times. So look with me in John 18. Now in John 18, you'll remember that where we're turning, Judas uh, will begin by ambushing Jesus. Uh, He will give him the kiss of death. Of course, Peter in that moment, once again, he is excited He is zealous for the Lord, and so he cuts off this servant's ear. His name is Malchus, and uh, he's trying to save Jesus, and Jesus says, Peter, please, once again, step back. Put your your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? It's not in the scriptures, but I think Peter probably, when he was excited and trying to defend Jesus and thinking he was saving his life, and then here's Jesus tell him to get back. I think Peter might have said something like in his heart, man, I just can't do anything right. And I feel like every time I open my mouth, everything actually gets worse. See, Peter followed Jesus to the courtyard of the high priest. And in verse 17 of John 18 we begin to see the the denials roll out one by one. If you look at verse 17, you'll see the the first denial. In John 18, 17, here's what it says. The servant girl, very intimidating, big muscles, at the door, said to Peter, you are also not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. I am not. Brave Peter, ready to draw the sword, denying Jesus before the servant girl. And as a high priest is questioning Jesus inside, we're told that there were servants and officers warming themselves by the fire, and they asked Peter a second time if he was this disciple. And in verse 25, we find that Peter denied it again, saying, I am not. And then the third denial is recorded in verses 26 to 27. And here is what it says. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had just cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with cousin Malchus, right, with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Now, I can't imagine the level of fear of man that was running wild in Peter's heart as he's being interrogated by Malchus's relative or, or, or whatever as he is having this discussion about, you just cut his ear off and are you that guy that did that? And just as his third denial dropped from his lips, can you imagine the, the startling sound of the rooster crow that Jesus had promised? You know, I'm pretty sure that he was far from wondering if he would be great in the kingdom of God at this time. If he even believed that that kingdom would come, I mean, just think about this. Instead of laying down his life for Jesus, he just denied Jesus three times to save his own neck. 
And this is just hours after his zealous declaration that he would follow Jesus anywhere, even to death. Now, we don't have to imagine too much about what was going on in Peter's heart because Mark 14, 72 tells us that when Peter heard the rooster crow, he remembered Jesus' prediction, immediately came to mind, and he broke down and wept. See, Peter felt like a failure in that moment. He was ashamed. Now, who wouldn't be? You might ask, why does John veil the tears while Mark talks about them? Uh, One commentator, J.C. Fenton, says it is to clarify that Peter cannot follow Jesus until Jesus has died for him. He could not follow him unless Jesus died for him. See, Peter imagined that he could save Jesus by laying down his life for him. Have you ever um, been engaged in one of those uh, books or maybe a TV show or a movie that is based on this like alternative history theory where they just imagine like a historical event and they say, what would it have been like if this event happened differently? Well, there's a, an example of this right now, a TV show called The Man in High Castle. And it imagines a world where the Nazis in Japan won World War II. What would the world be like? Well, it would be a, a way different place than the world that we live in, wouldn't it? And and Peter, he imagined a world where he could save Jesus. But the rooster crow announced Peter's utter inability to save Jesus and pointed to the inevitability of the death of Jesus to save Peter and all those who would put their faith in him. Now don't miss this. The scariest world in the world to Peter was the one in which Jesus died as he promised. Little did he realize that the world that he dreamed of, where he saved Jesus, was the world where he would be left in his sins where death still reigned, and where he would face the wrath of God without Jesus Christ absorbing it for him. See, Peter could not follow Jesus because only Jesus could die as an innocent, suffering servant who was fully able to bring us to God. Peter needed to be brought to God. He just didn't need to be saved from Rome. He needed to be brought into the presence of God himself, to have mercy with God, to have God for him. And only Jesus could bear the wrath of God for you and me and Peter and draw us near to him. He needed Jesus to follow him. And here's another scary alternative history. What if Peter's story stops here? Have you ever thought about that? What if Peter failed Jesus and Jesus died and that's the end of the gospel? I don't think that would be good news. See, Peter would rightly have been pitied above all else. I mean, think about it. In Mark 16, 7, an angel tells the woman who finds the empty tomb. She says, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Now, here's where I just ask, why is Peter singled out from the disciples in Mark 16, 7? I mean, they had to find the disciples because they fled when Jesus was arrested. But why is Peter separate from them? It could be because he was the leader and they want to highlight him as that. Or it could be that he was rejected by the other disciples for his public denial of Christ. Or that he was ashamed and he separated himself from them. Just imagine that Peter was left in that. Just think about the shame and sense of failure that Peter experienced as Jesus hung on the cross. What if the story ended with Jesus hanging on the cross, the disciples scattered, and Peter hiding alone in shame? We wouldn't be here this morning. But praise be to God that we are not living in that alternative history or Peter's alternative history. Do you see it? Peter's greatest fear of Jesus dying was actually the ground of his greatest hope. 
that we might be brought near to God and find mercy. See, the story doesn't end here because Jesus is risen. He's alive. That's where we go. Uh, You'll find third that the tomb was empty in John 20. The, The tomb is empty in John 20 in that text that we just read. Now here in John 20, we read of Mary Magdalene. Uh, You'll notice that she is the one that first comes to the tomb, and she sees that it is uh, empty. She runs back to tell Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is the Apostle John. And we find in John 21 to 10 that we just read a, a description of what that looked like, how that event went down. Now, I love the image that we find in these verses, but I want to draw attention to just a few things. You'll notice that John, in these verses, highlights that he beat Peter to the tomb. Very important to him. I think it's because he's athletic. Some commentators say it's because Peter was older, and it's describing that. Um, And so the older guy was slower. But I don't think that's good exegesis, because I just played basketball with some young guys like last week. Uh, We killed them. Um, Malachi was there. Sorry, brother. Um, so I don't know that that's always right, but maybe. You can just let that linger for a second. <laughs> I'm not really sure exactly why that's mentioned, but what is fascinating to me in verses 6 to 7 is this. Notice that it says that when he went into the tomb in verses 6 to 7, this is what it says. He being Peter saw the linens lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. Now again, I think that Jesus' resurrection is contrasted with Lazarus' back, with Lazarus' resurrection back in John 11.44. So we're kind of, I think, invited in John to think about, do you remember that other resurrection that took place in John back in chapter 11? Do you remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? Well, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he he comes to life, but he actually walks out like a mummy. He still has everything on him. He has to be unbound by others. But when Jesus and his claws are found, the language basically gives us this image that he like basically sort of levitated through them and came out and left them exactly where his body had laid. And then just to let you know that it was intentional and and maybe not grave robbers, he like folds up his facial uh, wrapping. I think it gives this image that he doesn't need these death claws anymore. He's done with them. See, John and Peter became credible witnesses in a court of law that this tomb was empty. Now notice that John sees and believes in verse 8. But you have to wonder, John's believing... But what was going through Peter's mind as he saw those claws lying there? I think it was something like, wait, what? Like, what just happened? I mean, Luke twenty four twelve tells us that Peter, when he experienced this, he actually went away wondering to himself what had happened. He still didn't understand the Old Testament scripture that, that John speaks of and what it was. And it, that scripture could have been Psalm sixteen ten where he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. It could have been Isaiah 53, 10 to 11, 
where it's spoken of that the Lord will send his Messiah and he will be crushed in verse 10. But verse 11 tells us that he will later see or see the light, which means that he will see life after being crushed. Could have been those verses or others or a number of texts. We can't be sure what's right, but we can be sure that the Old Testament points to the resurrection of the Messiah. See, Peter still doesn't see it and believe it, though. He has the Old Testament. He has his experiences of the empty tomb. And he just still can't see it. Here's why I think Luke 24, 34 is beautiful, though. The beloved disciple John might have arrived first at the empty tomb. But the resurrected Lord Jesus visited Peter first. He visited Peter first. I think this is a beautiful image of of the nature of the character of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't appear to the beloved disciple first. The one that's leading into his chest. He visited the disciple who denied him three times just hours ago. Or just days ago. See, fourth, we find that Jesus visited Peter before the other disciples in Luke 24, 33 to 34. Now Luke 24, 33 to 34 provides us, I believe, with a bridge between the empty tomb of John 20 and Peter jumping into the water and swimming towards Jesus in John 21. Like that's, it's, it's between those two chapters. Now Jesus privately appeared to Peter before he set to swimming towards Christ in John 21. According to Luke 24, 33 to 34, this is what it says. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, Remember this, the Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. So they knew that he had re- appeared to Peter. Now just think about this. Luke 24, 1 Corinthians 15, they tell us that Peter was the first one that Jesus appeared to, the first man that he appeared to. Sometime between John 2010 and John 2019, before he appeared to all the other disciples, Peter was alone when Jesus appeared to him, which did not constitute the two witnesses required in legal proceedings. I actually take the silence of the scripture of this encounter as protecting an intimate moment between Jesus and his beleaguered disciple who is riddled with doubt and shame. And just consider what this means about the heart of Jesus. I mean, if you're here this morning and you want to know what Jesus is like, Here's a picture of the heart of Jesus and what Jesus is like. We're not given an account of the meeting between Jesus and Peter, so this is purely Christological speculation based on what we know is true of Peter and Jesus. But Peter promised that he would never leave Jesus. He'd follow him to death. Hours later, he denied Jesus three times. At his darkest moment, as he approached the cross, Peter felt ashamed and like a failure as well as confused over what was happening to Jesus. Hope evaporated from the world of Peter. Maybe the other disciples even abandoned him. Maybe Peter abandoned the disciples and even Jesus. But the first disciple that Jesus sought out once he was raised from the dead was impetuous Peter who abandoned him. Peter ran away. Jesus ran after him. Peter denied Jesus. And his resurrected king lifted his head and gave him hope. Now I don't know what you've done this morning that might make you feel would present or prevent you from being able to draw near to Jesus because he might see you and what he sees might gross him out. But I want you to know that whatever it is would have to contend with Peter denying Jesus three times as he goes to the cross. And that man Jesus ran to. Know this. 
There is always more room for Peter's before Jesus Christ. See, Peter had nothing but shame to bring to the resurrected king. His sins, they were many, but Jesus' mercy was so much more. See, Jesus showed himself to be the true zealot. See, Peter thought he was excited for Jesus. He had no idea the zeal that Jesus had for him. Jesus didn't come to cut off the ear of a guard. He came to absorb the wrath of God for Peter. That is zeal. Zeal. He is more zealous for Peter than Peter was for him. That is shocking zeal. You know, Jesus was more zealous for Peter than Peter was for Jesus. And the same is true of Jesus for rebels like you and me. He has a zeal for us. He came for us, shed his life, his blood for us, took on the wrath of God for us. That is how God is zealous for you. That is how Christ is zealous for you. You know what's beautiful about this? The zeal of Christ for us is it is not some future reality merely. It is that and so much more. But it is a present reality. We, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, have hope. We have hope for the end, and we have hope for every day. Are you guys like regularly tapping into the resurrection hope that you have? Are you regularly tapping into the reality that that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is actually active in your life as a believer? You know, I am regularly seeking the face of God and desperate for his spirit to help me in situations that I believe look hopeless before my eyes. And I'm constantly praying the prayer that I see in the eyes of Peter, where Peter says, I cannot imagine a world that is good where Jesus dies for me. And yet in that horrific moment, Jesus brings about some of the greatest beauty that this world has ever seen and our only source of hope. I was meeting with a brother this last week and I remember praying for hours, weeping with other brothers about this situation that I just, I thought there was no way that God could redeem and restore this situation. I'd been through too many failures. I'd been through too many bad conversations, too many train wrecks in life. And I just sought God's face and begged him, we begged together that God would give us hope and that God would help us. And I remember being in the middle of that conversation and watching as God did what God does breaking our hearts and humbling us before Christ and giving us hope that this was not the end of something that was tragic and sad, but the beginning of something that was going to be beautiful and life-giving. Brothers and sisters, that was a small miracle that took place in my presence. And that was nothing less than the power of the resurrection on display in real time for us, saying the resurrection happened and you have access to that spirit. His spirit is at work amongst us. But here's what you need to know. You need Jesus more than you know. Jesus doesn't need us. We need him. And our last point, fifth, is this. Jesus calls and empowers Peter to follow him. In other words, he doesn't just say, Peter, it's all right, like, Go sit on the bench, you're done, but you know, you're accepted. He says, I've got plans for you, better plans than you had for yourself. Jesus calls and empowers Peter to follow him. Uh, there are two more scenes that demand our attention quickly. You'll remember that Jesus told Peter that he could not follow him. Why could he not follow him? I mean, how many people have a teacher, a rabbi, who they go to follow who says, you can't follow me? Well, there are a couple of scenes, I think, that help flesh this out. First, 
The risen Christ gives his spirit in John 20, 19 to 23. Important. Important in the book of John to understand what, what Jesus is doing with Peter. This scene in verses 19 to 23 where Jesus is giving his spirit. In John 20, 19 to 23, Jesus enters into a locked room through the wall where his disciples were hiding from the authorities. Now, obviously, Jesus' body is a little different now, right? He, like, rises through his claws. He walks through walls. He also eats fish, and Thomas touches his wounds. So there's a lot going on here with Jesus. It's different. But John 10, 22 to, I mean, 20, 22 to 23 is important. There John records this, beginning in verse, uh, well, 21, 21 to 22. This is what he says. Jesus said to them again, these disciples, as he appears to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't take this as John's version of Pentecost. I I think that what's happening here, that's going to happen in Acts. I think that it's proleptic. In other words, I think that it's pointing forwards to the anticipated reception of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you need the Holy Spirit. Now, why is this important here? That they need the Holy Spirit. Well, you'll remember that Peter wanted to follow Jesus and lay down his life for him. But he needed Jesus to lay down his life for him and take it up again so that he could give Peter the Holy Spirit to empower him to obey the call to follow Jesus and whatever that means. See, Peter needed peace with God that can only be brought through his satisfactory death in his place on the cross. But Peter also needed the Holy Spirit that could only be given by his risen and ascended Lord. That's why I believe the Spirit is given prior to this last text that we need to look at, which brings us full circle as we try to answer why is it that Peter couldn't follow Jesus? Well, John 21, 18 to 19. We see the risen Christ calls Peter to follow him. Do you remember where we began in John 13? I want to follow you. You can't follow me. And here he ends saying, follow me. You'll remember in John 21, Peter is fishing with some of the other disciples when he sees Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat to swim to shore to see him. What a beautiful picture of repentance. If you're wondering what repentance looks like, repentance looks like running to Jesus as fast as you can. It's not running from him. It's drawing near to him, trusting that God will draw near to you. And you swim if necessary. But Peter's still Peter. He's still excited. He still jumps out of the boat. But he's a new version of himself. Now you'll remember how earlier in John, Peter denied Jesus three times. But here in this text, as Peter is talking to Jesus, Jesus is going to ask him another question three times. One that seals his repentance. He asks him three times, do you truly love me? Three times Jesus said, in response, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. In other words, just think about this. Peter has denied him three times. He's repented. He's coming back to the Lord. And now the Lord says, I've got a job for you. I want you to care for my people. Like you're not on the bench. You're actually going to represent me before my sheep. I'm the great shepherd. You're my under shepherd. You're going to serve me and be used in ways that you never imagined. Verse 17 inserts this. 
As he was asking these questions and he was rolling off, I mean, you can just hear it. Do you love me? One. Of course I love you. And he asked him again, do you love me? Like, well, didn't you just hear me? And I'm sure when that third time hit, do you love me? He was reminded of the three times that he had denied Jesus. And he wondered if Jesus could ever believe him truly. See, Peter was hurt in verse 17 because Jesus asked him the third time. Peter was hurt because he knew his heart and how he denied Christ. But notice how Jesus responds in verses 18 to 19. Truly, truly, I I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, did you see this? I will die for you. I want to follow you wherever you go. You can't do it. His death happens. The Spirit comes. And he says, now I want you to tell you what your future looks like again. You are going to die for me. You're going to die for me. You're going to lay down your life for me, just as you said you would. And you're going to be able to do it because you have the Spirit in you that is going to lead you to be obedient even to the point of death. The same Spirit that took me to the cross is going to take you to be faithful to the very end. And I want you to know that now the gates are wide open. Come follow me. And Peter signs up for that. And then he quickly asks, what about John? And he's like, well, he's going to live a long time, but you've got to get over that. See, the only way Peter could please God was by the power of the indwelling Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who would empower him to follow Jesus even to the point of death. We cannot please God or follow him without Jesus' help and without his Spirit. I want to close with just a couple of quick thoughts. First, for the believer, remember that Jesus calls us to come and follow him. But we are only ever able to do so because of the sacrifice for us that brought us peace with God. It's the only reason. It's not in and of ourselves. It's only because of who Christ is. And we are only able to follow him if we are led by his Holy Spirit empowering us. It is him that must be at work in us both to will and to act for his good pleasure. We cannot do it on our own. See, what that means is that we are living in the light of resurrection power every day. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead seals, sanctifies, and sends us to please God. God. So if you're discouraged and ashamed today, take 10 looks at Jesus Christ, dead and raised, for every look that you take at yourself. Be encouraged by that. Now, if you're a non-Christian, know that the resurrection invites you to place your faith in the only man to be raised from the dead forever so that you might have everlasting life. That's for you today. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And you need the Spirit to give you eyes to see your sin before a holy God. And Jesus is the only way to Him. But also know that the meaningful life that you long for is only found in Christ. With Christ's people. And on His mission to make Him known. See, what happened to turn an ashamed coward like Peter into a zealous follower of Jesus who's willing eventually even to die for his faith? What turns a coward like Peter into a martyr? What what turns a guy like Paul who persecutes the church into the great preacher of the church? It had to be something like a resurrection. Have you dealt with that? Let's pray.